This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. It's an orientation. The orientation of my life is moving toward that better horizon, that kinder world. And then in that moment of that idea of pulling, pull and rest, rest and pull, that we actually, this is for the long haul. And so we also need to work hard to do our, our part and at the same time remember to breathe, remember to take the light in the world, to do the things that actually sustain us for that long haul. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Carrie Newcomer. She's a songwriter, recording artist, performer, educator, and activist. She's been described as a prairie mystic by the Boston Globe and one who asks all the right questions by Rolling Stone magazine. Carrie Newcomer has 19 nationally released albums on available Light and Concord Rounder records, including The Point of Arrival and The Beautiful Not Yet. She has three books of poetry and essays. Her song, I Should Have Known Better, appeared on Nickel Creek's Grammy-winning gold album, This Side, and she earned an Emmy for the PBS special, An Evening with Carrie Newcomer. Today, we're talking about her recent releases. She has just come out with a new album, Until Now, and a book of poems that accompanies the album, although they are different poems than the lyrics of the songs on the album, also called Until Now, New Poems. We had Carrie Newcomer on our show back in 2019, talking about her album, The Point of Arrival. If you want to go back and listen to that, that's episode number 1906, and the title of the episode is The Beautiful Thread. Carrie Newcomer, welcome back to Things Not Seen, and congratulations on the new album. Well, thank you. It's great to be back on the show. So I wanted to ask about this because the album begins with the line, Here in the Great Unraveling. That's the first thing that we hear when we hear your album until now. And I couldn't help but think 
as I look around us now some 19 months into the pandemic, that we have been in the midst of a great unraveling for a while now. And so part of what I want to know is how much of this album was written during the last 19 or 20 months and how much of it is material that has been percolating up and sifting through over the last few years and just happened to land on this particular release. Well, the songs that appear on that album and the poetry book, I would say the lion's share of them were written during the last 18 months. Some were written previously, but I would say the majority came into being during this time of pandemic. Well, in in that case, if we're thinking about that, what was it like for you as a performer? Because you have lived your life in front of audiences. You've lived your life on the road and interacting with people. What was it like to shift gears into a much more isolated space and to begin to write and think about music in the new paradigm that we've been in for the last 19 or 20 months? Well, I think, you know, like, like everyone, this was just an incredible paradigm shift. I'm a traveling musician. Uh, within a month from my last tour, which was March uh, 6th of 2020, within a month, I'd been home longer in one stretch than I'd been home in a stretch in 25 years. So it was a real change to the patterns of my life and how my life usually operated. Like many of us, it was a time of great concern, great uncertainty, It was a time of real challenge. There was so much that was, so many layers that were going on, I think for myself and and I think for many people, for most of us. So as usually will happen, that became creative expression for me. I began to write. It was interesting because the songs came hard, which was interesting for me because songwriting is like breathing for me. And, but the songs came hard. They came, but they came hard. And so, but the poetry was really, that's where the flow was happening. So a lot of the songs grew out of the the poetry that was happening. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask about the balance between the songs and the poetry. So these two products, your album Until Now and your book Until Now New Poems, it's clear that they complement one another. It's clear that they are designed to be thematically interlocked in some ways. But I was wondering how you, what were these poems? Were they examples of songs that didn't quite make it? Were they examples of kind of things that might become songs later? How do you think about what lands as a poem on the written page and what becomes an, an audio artifact like a song? Well, that's really inter- interesting. If you lined up seven songwriters and you ask them their process, they would give you 14 ways that they probably do it. My process often begins with poetry or writing, journaling, prose writing, poetry, short story. A lot of my songs begin there. So when I bring these ideas to music, I have all this language I've been playing with. I might take even particular lines out and use them, but I've already been exploring the, the theme of, of the song in different forms of writing. I never really know when I start a poem if it's going to be a song. Sometimes the poem is just what it is in and of itself, and, it, and, and that's what it is. Sometimes it's a poem that leads to a song that becomes a song. Every now and then they're both. And there's a, a couple examples of poems in this new book that was became a poem in and of itself, but thoughts and ideas from it became a song as well. 
but I never really know when I start. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking again to our guest, Carrie Newcomer. She has a new album out called Until Now and a companion book of poetry, Until Now, New Poems. Longtime listeners will recall that Carrie Newcomer joined us in 2019 after the release of her album, Point of Arrival. Well, I want to ask some more about your process here, because you mentioned a moment ago that these songs came out hard. And I'd love if you could flesh out a little bit about what that means. So if your typical songwriting process was X, it sounds like the process of writing the song cycle that became Until Now was something different than that. So what would a typical process of songwriting be for you? And how was Until Now different? Well, I think just in that idea of how I'm living my life, I'm experiencing things, I'm reading all the things that happen to a living, breathing writer, and then it becomes often some kinds of prose writing or poetry, and then it becomes music. I think what was different this time was, I think that I had to be really creative with my creative process. It's like a Creative process is a a stream that's headed in one direction. And if you've ever seen a stream that rocks fall in the way or something happens, a a log falls down and then and, and the stream has to go around and move around it, flow around it in a different kind of way. I think it felt a bit like that. But like I said, both happened. And I I think creative process for all of us, I mean, people, when I think of creative process, I think of the arts, but I also just think about creative living. You know, people had to get really creative in the last 18 months, a creative community. When our normal patterns were disrupted, how do we create a, a new pattern and structure for our lives? People just rolled up their sleeves and it's like, okay, we're making this work. There was a lot of creative thinking. I created my own video studio for streaming which isn't, you know, streamed performance is another art form. So learning a new art form, I think creative parenting during this time period, how do we do, how do we do education and learning? People have had to be very creative in the last months. And I did too, in just how the songs and the poetry and the other creative expression happened. It's interesting to me that you mention education and having to relearn education. One of the things that we've talked about before when you've been on the show, I know that you've got a long-standing communication and conversation going on with Parker Palmer and that his work resonates through what you are doing with your song and with your verse. And I know that you both share a spiritual background in the sense that you both have some connection to the Religious Society of Friends. And so I wonder kind of as you've been thinking about the reshaping of education and the reshaping of your own writing, how some of those kinds of resonances, Parker Palmer, Quakerism, the Religious Society of Friends, how have those given you buoyancy during this time of readjustment and reimagining about what your job is as a communicator in the world when the kind of primary channels of communication and connection with your audiences were completely reimagined? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for mentioning Parker and that and our work together. I have to say my ongoing creative collaboration with Parker and our dear friendship is one of the great gifts of my life. You know, I really so love and admire Parker's work. And so what a great gift to be able to work as creative colleagues as well. So we have done retreats together and spoken word and music programs together and our own podcast called The Growing Edge. 
And during this time period, it was really wonderful to be able to continue our podcast and to continue our creative conversation. Uh, there's a couple songs in this album that, that came out of those conversations. Uh, there's a song called Molly Brown, where we had a conversation and he sent me a text and said, Carrie, you're just a Molly Brown. <laughs> and I liked that. I said, well, yeah, that idea of Molly was on the tan- Titanic. And when the ship went down, she rolled up her sleeves and started rowing not really knowing what was before her. So, so yeah, and there were other songs and poems that were really influenced by that ongoing creative conversation. Well, and I want to stick for a moment with this song, Like Molly Brown, because listeners who come to this song are going to realize that you start and close the song with the image of Molly Brown grabbing an oar and just heave-hoeing. And when she finally reaches shore, she kneels down and she kisses the ground. But throughout the song, you bring in some other characters. You talk about Rosa Parks and RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then you even include another character, Lucretia Mott. And probably people have heard of Rosa Parks, probably people have heard of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But tell us briefly why you included Lucretia Mott in the song as well. Well, the song itself, it's a really fun song, actually. And it's in some ways, it's an honoring. It's an honoring of those who have come before us, who did roll up their sleeves and they did that active work of hope because hope is a daily action. And so they did that active hope and lived with a kind of resiliency and the ancestors whose shoulders we stand upon. It was a, an appreciation for that and also wanting to be part of that entire the work, that ongoing work of hope and resiliency and creating a better world. Yeah, Lucretia Mott. I I figured people would know the other names and then everyone would have to Google Lucretia Mott after the song. Um, But she was a a Quaker activist, early abolitionist, who in the song believed we all carry a piece of light, you know, that in a certain kind of treatment, that one person has more light than another uh, light in their soul had to stop. So, yeah, there was a couple different levels going on with like Molly Brown. And one was that idea of uh, homage to uh, the ancestors, to those who have worked before us. And also this idea of rowing toward a particular orientation. I was speaking with John Paul Lederach, just a wonderful expert and uh, life work of nonviolent conflict resolution all over the world. And he said that working toward that better, kinder world is like rowing toward or walking toward a horizon. It's an orientation more than a destination. And I really loved that way of looking at it, that, that it's an orientation. The orientation of my life is moving toward that better horizon, that kinder world. And then in that moment of that idea of pulling, there's a line in the chorus, pull and rest, rest and pull, that we actually, this is for the long haul. And so we also need to work hard to do our, our part and at the same time remember to breathe, remember to take the light in the world, to do the things that actually sustain us for that long haul. So yeah, so the song worked on a couple levels. 
If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's an award-winning singer, songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. Her songwriting has been praised by Billboard, USA Today, and Rolling Stone, which wrote that she asks all the right questions. Today, we're talking about her recent releases, both an album and a book of poems, both under the title Until Now. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's an award-winning singer, songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. We're talking about her recent releases, both an album and a book of poems, both under the title Until Now. So this idea of pulling and resting, that actually, when I listened to your album Until Now, that really spoke to me because part of what I have been struggling with as a small audio creator and as a teacher, both during this pandemic, is the feeling like I should be on all the time and the feeling like I have so much that I need to be doing. And, oh, if you're going to be home, you should write a book or if you're going to be home, you should finish a project or you should, for goodness sakes, just clean the dining room. Like all these things should happen. Right. And what, yeah. what really spoke to me and it just it stopped me as I was listening to the album, pull and rest, pull and rest. I was realizing, yeah, if you row for shore forever, you will kill yourself with exhaustion. You have to find ways to build in time to say it's enough and let the current take over and just float for a while. Now, when I'm saying this, I'm adding a lot of words to your words. So first of all, do I have it right? And what can we learn during this time of pandemic about pull and rest? Well, yeah, I think you really caught the spirit of what I was saying very well. And I, and that, that experience of breathing, of looking at our lives I think I think the disruption of all our regular patterns was also an opportunity to look at the perpetual motion of our lives. For me, it was. We, as grown-ups, we get on a path and we get on a, a motion. And it's hard as a society. It's like a great big ship that it's hard to turn it very quickly it's, unless something really big happens. And something big did happen. And it's this opportunity to reimagine, to look at what's working in my life, what's not working at all, that it's all right to rest and take a day when I'm just being, and I'm trying to be with this. Like I said, it's a, it's, it was an opportunity. You know, what's, what's my coping strategy? What are the good, you know, the ones that are healthy and really helping me now? What are the ones that, that don't help me all that much? And I can reframe those too. So there's a lot of that kind of exploration on this album and in this book. What There's a line in the song, uh, when the wolf is at the door, we can't just be healed from this, we must be transformed. And I believe that there's, an, there's a possibility that when something unravels as it has, we get to choose how we put it back together differently uh, in a new frame. 
And and that's where we're at right now. The, the pandemic isn't over. <laughs> no, no matter what some folks will tell you, it's not over. And it's still very much with us. And there's great grief and loss and suffering still going on. So we're still in that process of what's happening and how do we frame it? And then how do we go forward? Again, I think, again, one of the, the big themes of the album and the poetry book is being in process and also having a little compassion and grace for ourselves and others while in process, because we're all in process right now, you know, in one way or another. I'm thinking of that line from the song you just quoted, When the Wolf is at the Door, and the shape of things I knew won't ever be the same. And to tie that back with the previous song we were talking about, Molly Brown, it strikes me that Molly Brown got onto the Titanic thinking that she was going to one place. And then circumstances meant that she ended up in another place and she had to row hard in the midst of destruction to get to that other place. And I think about how you characterize her reaction when she finally gets to the place that she didn't intend to go. She didn't cuss and she didn't get mad. She knelt and she kissed the ground. She blessed the place that she was, even though it wasn't the place that she intended to go. I'm I'm just thinking about that image in the midst of all the change that we've had to be in the midst of and how many of us have simply responded with frustration that we didn't end up where we intended. And I really I'm really struck right now as we're talking about this by Molly Brown's reaction, the idea of even blessing the place you didn't intend to go, but you're just glad to be there. And I think that's one of my attitudes uh, about being in process. I have a dear friend who's an incredible weaver. Her name is Suzanne. And one of her phrases that she says is, Carrie, you're right where you need to be. And surrendering to that, I'm right where I need to be. It was not, you know, this is not where I expected to be. (laughs) And it's not where I plan to be, but it's right where I need to be. And then work from there. What is it can I learn in this moment? What is it that I can take from this moment? So yeah, that, that idea, and I think I say that in one of the songs, I'm right where I need to be. I'm struck by that image, uh, your friend Suzanne the Weaver. I, I think about very kind of intentional arts, like weaving uh, a rug or weaving some kind of tapestry. As much as you might want to work on some part that you see up in the corner, you can't work on it until you're actually there. I'm really struck by that, the Mm -hmm. notion that wherever you are right now, that's where you've got to be, because as much as you may vision another part of it, it's not your time to work on that. And if you try and work on that, you're going to ruin the whole thing. It's just a a very striking image you just gave us from your friend Suzanne. Yeah, and the idea that if the life we're living is a book, I can't skip the middle chapters. I can't skip the chapter I'm on now. And there have been times in my life when I wanted to do that. I, like, this is hard. This is a hard chapter. This is the one that really is challenging or there's suffering or there's grief. Uh, but I can't skip those chapters for the full story to unfold. So, so yeah, I, I really love how you, you the, the metaphor you took from that with the weaving that you, you can't get to that corner place in the weaving until you get there. Going back to John Paul Lederach's comment about it's, a, it's an orientation more than a destination. Well, in light of where we've gone in this conversation, something that I wanted to ask you about a little later is percolating up into the conversation right now. I've been thinking about your album cover art, and you've been working for many years with an artist, and I hope I pronounced the name correctly, by the name of Hugh Syme. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I w- I've been struck by the kind of thematic lines that I see in your covers. So, for example, uh, when you were last on the show and we talked about your album Point of Arrival, it's a, a kind of view of a prairie and the central figure is there floating just slightly above the ground, which always struck me as just an amazing image. But now when we come to your album cover for Until Now, you can definitely see that it's the same artist involved in this. But now instead of floating slightly above the ground, it's a tightrope above a valley. And the central figure, and I believe this may be you as the central figure, is there on the tightrope on a penny-farthing bicycle with some balloons holding (laughs) you aloft. (laughs) But talk about having to be where you are at that moment like that that really is like you you may see this beautiful vista but you can't go anywhere except the next inch if if i'm looking at this and reading this album cover correctly you are in a moment there yeah it's i first of all i love working with hugh syme he's done i think the last nine of my album covers he's incredible artist he's it's beautiful and it's whimsical and always thought-provoking and yes, the cover of Until Now, it's it is a wide and really beautiful vista, but I'm on a it's me on a penny farthing on a tightrope. But these balloons kind of holding me aloft. So it was a really wonderful process to to go back and forth with Hugh. And when he came up with this idea, it was this this is it. That's this is just what it needs. So I'm a visual artist as well as a, a musical artist. So the visuals are very important to me. So yeah, I, I'm glad you you, you noticed. And it, it was really a, a lovely image that he came up with. But yeah, the the idea that it was a precarious place and it still is a precarious place to be living and to be walking. And then the question, what is it that what is it that sustains us and holds us aloft? That kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, what is it that that helps us in times like this? And the light, the idea of what is it we love beyond words or measure? What is it that we delight in? Delight being an act of resistance in many ways to to live well. You know, what are those what are those balloons that help us as we're walking this? kind of precarious moment in our lives. And there's the large, the personal context of that. And there's also the larger community and cultural and even world context of that. So, you know, what are those lovely things that continue to keep us aloft? If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's an award-winning songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. She's been on the show before talking about her album, Point of Arrival. Today, we're talking about her recent album and companion book of poetry, both with the title Until Now. I'd like to stay for a moment with this album cover and these album covers that you've been making with the artist Hugh Syme. I'd love to hear a little bit about the process of how you two communicated about what this album cover would eventually become. How did it move from idea to realization? Well, it's interesting to to talk in an audio medium about visuals. But if I could, it's really, it's just a wonderful, collaborative, creative process with you. I often send him demo recordings of the songs and the lyrics. He reads through them, listens to the songs, and then we just start having conversations. We have conversations about what's within the context of the song, the poetry, the lines that we might want to pull out. It really is a really beautiful process. 
And then he'll send me something. And the conversation continues like, wow, that's really interesting. Close, but I don't think that's quite it. Let's talk a little more. And then uh, when he sent this image that you're talking about, this beautiful, I think it's the lake country in Scotland, this beautiful vista and the penny farthing. Uh, A funny story about that image, though, is it is me on the penny farthing. So he wanted to drop me into this scene. And and so I had a a photographer, Jim Krause. We set up a a scene so that he could take the, the photograph of me in the right position so that he could drop me into the scene on the bicycle. But I'm not very tall. I'm, you know, on a really good day, I say I'm 5'4". So, <laughs> so he had to extend my legs just a couple inches so they would actually touch the pedals. <laughs> so on the cover, I'm much more statuesque. I'm, I'm probably 5'6 on the album cover. But I thought that was pretty funny. Well, what, what's interesting to me about that, so the, the penny farthing, and for those that don't know this image, and if we say a bicycle, you think of something with two even wheels. A penny farthing bicycle is that old-timey bicycle with one very huge wheel and one really tiny wheel, and a person sits way up on on top of that huge wheel and maneuvers. But it strikes me that a penny farthing is really a, it's a gesture back towards a much earlier time, a much earlier set of technologies, a much earlier set of relationships. And you were compiling this album, working on it, thinking about it during the midst of a time when everything that we had been thinking of in terms of forward progress was knocked back a notch or two. We we really saw some of the the threads in the idea that everything is always going to move forward and progress and progress towards greater and greater perfection. Instead, we really began to see that the world has a lot of places that need a lot of work. And maybe we need to slow down and think, (laughs) maybe rest a while as we're rowing forwards. But I'm wondering about kind of these things that you're saying about kind of new ways of thinking about education at the same time that we're thinking about, you know, some of the things that we've been riding on failing us or seeing that they're not quite as modern as we thought that they were. And as I'm bringing these kind of images together, I'm doing this kind of for the first time in this conversation. You've given a lot more thought to these images and the way that these work with the words. So I want to know, am I on to something or would you say these things in a different way? Well, I do think that it is a time of reframing, of reimagining or just actually doing something new in a new way. Uh, There's a song on the album called I Will Sing a New Song. It's based on a Howard Thurman poem. Howard Thurman being a mystic and theologian who's uh, been very important to me, particularly in the last years. So this idea that there's a song we've been singing for quite some time, and there's been great good things about that song, but it's time to, to begin a new one, that every ending is a beginning. And looking at what is it about, you know, if you're looking at education, if you're looking at music, and there's so many different components of this activism. Personally, since I I couldn't be with people in person, that actually singing was dangerous to people. What a thought, which was an incredibly difficult and sobering thought for me. And learning to to work online in in streaming context and recording is apples and live in-person concerts are oranges than live streaming was kind of kiwi. (laughs) It's this completely different animal and learning how to really work with it and learning how to sing 
a new song and sing it in a different kind of way and learning what was really interesting, learning that spirit, the spirit within a song, within a presentation can move farther and wider and deeper than I ever imagined it could go. That it's not bounded by even a screen. So that was a, that was a really amazing thing to discover. You know, you know, very literally learning how to sing a song in a new way. And then metaphorically, as a culture, as a society, we became very aware that where the holes were in our social safety net, because people started falling through them. And they'd been falling through them, but it became more apparent, you know, a time of racial reckoning when after the murder of George Floyd, this idea of looking at how things must change. I, th- I think as a culture, this idea of a new song, that the old one carried us this far, but it's time for a new one. And it might have, it might have components of that old song because it wasn't all bad. There's some things that we want to keep and we want to reimagine. There's some things it's time to let go of. And so the song, I I Will Sing a New Song, worked on kind of two levels, on that personal level for myself, but also as a community, how we're each looking at what we learned in this and what we want to let go of and what we want to embrace, what what actually mattered. I think that was a, a, a big revelation for a lot of us. Gosh. When I have to stop and think about it for a while and get off the perpetual motion machine of my life, what actually matters and what kind of doesn't matter at all and what really doesn't work for me or for really anyone. So, you know, I, I think you caught that idea in a, in a very interesting way in terms of the penny farthing, but that looking back and looking forward and, and being in process with that again. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's been on the show before talking about her album Point of Arrival back in 2019. Today she's back talking about a new album and a book of poetry that accompanies it called Until Now. Carrie Newcomer is an award-winning singer-songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. We're delighted to be speaking to her. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're happy to welcome back to the show today, Carrie Newcomer. Back in 2019, she was on the show talking about her album, Point of Arrival. She is an award-winning singer-songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. And today we're talking about her recently released album and its companion book of poetry, both of which go by the name Until Now. So I, I want to bring us to another song on your album, Until Now, the song Throwing Rocks at the Moon. And there was a line in that song that really just jumped out at me. You say at one point, a good song usually hurts just a little bit. I'd love to know more about that line because when I heard you sing that, I I knew 
what that meant for me as a listener to your music, because already in listening to your album, I had been brought to tears a couple of times. And, and so in that way of hurting. But I'm wondering if that's all that we mean, just some sort of connection to some kind of pathos from the past, or whether there's more depth to that line, a good song usually hurts just a little bit. Well, well, thank you. I, I think that's that was the key line probably in that song. And, you know, throwing rocks at the moon, it's really a song about getting in my own way, you know, which I don't know, maybe that doesn't happen to anyone but me. I, <laughs> but, you know, that, that throwing rocks at the moon for a while until it's time to stop. And it's really a lot about, again, process and being in process and human condition. A good song, an authentic statement takes a certain kind of risk and opening to it that allowing oneself to be really present to your life, really present to what's around you to even if that hurts and that the creative process is not always easy. It's joyous and it's deep down exactly who I am. But at the same time, living an authentic life is not always an easy process. So. So that's where the line came from. Well, I want to stay with that stanza that line comes from just for a moment, because the, the entire phrase goes, I don't know yet what this all means. Maybe someday it will be redeemed. That's the long and the short of it. A good song usually hurts just a little bit. But I want to look for a moment at those first two lines. I don't yet know what this all means. Maybe someday it will be redeemed. There's a tension there for me as a person thinking about what you're trying to communicate to me, because on the one hand, I've got understanding. Someday I'll know what this all means. But on the other hand, I've got redemption. I've got where I will know that it mattered. I will know that whatever was wrong in it has been rung through until it's right. Like when I think about redemption, I don't really think about understanding and knowing the meaning of something so much as seeing the justness of it and the fullness of it. And so I'm living in the tension between these two lines because on the one hand, I'm hearing you grasping for an intellectual understanding. And on the other hand, I'm hearing a sort of hope for the repair of the entire world. And I'm, I'm wondering as I speak that tension to you as a listener, am I hearing something that's there for you in the song? And is that part why it also hurts a little bit? Yeah, I think you, you're very perceptive. You, you ask such great questions. <laughs> but yeah, you really, uh, I think you really got inside that, that piece of the song that when you're in process, you know, you can't always see through. You can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And sometimes you do get to a place where it does make sense. And there's certain understandings or revelations or, oh, that's what it all meant. That's where I was going. Um, that's where I needed to go. And this, there are a lot of songs I write that don't end up on albums or they're the song on the way to the next song. But I couldn't write that song that you heard until I wrote the one before it. So, so there is this sense of sometimes you don't know exactly what this all means or where it's going, but you're having a sense of faith about it. And that takes following your deepest intuition, your most authentic true self. It's listening and leaning into that. And that idea of redemption, sometimes we don't know, or it's still unclear. And there's other ways that experiences are redeemed. There are certain experiences that have happened that became songs. And because the song exists, there's a certain kind of connection and community, something that 
was communicated or presented of spirit that went into the world with that song that might not have happened hadn't this other experience, this com- confusing or perplexing or in process kind of experience that happened. So, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. And, you know, we've all been living in the both and right now. I have a, an album called the beautiful, not yet. And we're all, we've all been living in the beautiful, not yet. There's a, a Parker Palmer quote that I love that hope is holding in creative tension, everything that is with everything that could and should be. And each day taking some action to narrow the distance between the two. And I love that. I love that quote. And we are in the beautiful, not yet, you know, that peace, hope, truth, and justice will probably not be perfected in my lifetime. So I'm right here right now in the beautiful, not yet creatively trying to hold what is right now, what could and should be. And then what I do in this moment, right in this moment to put my, to contribute, to, to, Put that, this kind of spirit I want to see in the world, into the world. And I, I think that's been really important too, that sometimes in my, the list of things that Carrie is, they say activist. And I don't, I don't think of, you know, there's this frame for activism that it's the person with the sign and being in the marches and the people leading the marches, which, and, and that's one, one of the frames and it's really important. But I think to create the better, kinder world, it takes all of us with all our gifts and music putting a particular spirit into the world, it matters. It changes something. We all have tremendous power in how we choose to live our daily life, moment by moment, that, that how we live matters, that the spirit we put into the world, it matters. It changes something. It, it, shakes, it can shake the world just a little bit when, when someone is spontaneously kind instead of when to live in a certain kind of revolutionary love instead of fear, it changes something. When we make those day-by-day decisions, I have a, a song called Three Feet or So that in the song I, I say, um, the things that have saved us, that have always saved us, are still here to save us. Things like community and generosity and hospitality and kindness, you know, good parenting, a good book. A good dog. These things, they're still here. They did not go away, you know, 2016. They didn't go away in 2020 in March. They're still all here and completely available to us. And I think that's part of what this album is is about too. It's like, what? It's a song called, I Give Myself to This. It's like, what spirit will I live out each day? Not will the question is not what will I hang on to? The question is, you know, what will I give myself with all of my heart and what will I give in this life? So, so, so yeah, I think that really is one of those threads that keep running through the, the book of poetry and, and the music. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's an award-winning songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. We're talking about uh, a recent release, a new album called Until Now, and a companion book of poetry called Until Now, New Poems. I just want to say, first of all, the generosity of the answer that you just gave me and the depth with which you went into that, I really appreciate. One of the things that when I was 
coming to that song, Throwing Rocks at the Moon, I thought about was, you know, throwing rocks at the moon is the definition of a futile exercise. And you said something a moment ago that really struck me. You said, if I hadn't done this particular action, if I hadn't done this particular thing, if I hadn't written this song that didn't make it onto the album, I wouldn't have actually gotten to the song that did. I wouldn't have gotten to that thing that really is reparative. And I was just struck by that. That's a tremendously hopeful statement because you can look at someone flailing about and you can see beauty in the flailing. You can see beauty in even the action of futility of throwing a rock at the moon if it gets you to the next place. And what I'm hearing in both what you're telling me in your answers, but also in in this book of poems and also in this album until now, this is a lot about trying to just hold time as precious as we're getting to the next place. I'm really struck by that right now. And also a sense of compassion about it, a, a sense of compassion for myself in process and compassion for others who are in process. In, in the first poem in the uh, book of poetry, it's called I'm Learning to Sit with Not Knowing. And I talk about laying my hand on my heart and befriending my mistakes, especially the ones that showed me how I most needed to change. You know, that I think earlier in my life, I had a lot more issue with making mistakes, you know, that I could be pretty hard on myself for mistakes. And I I think as I've gotten older, that idea of befriending them, that no, they don't feel good. And especially if it's a mistake that may have caused some pain or harm to another person. But that's a mistake that helps me change the orientation of my direction. It shows me how I most need to change and befriending those mistakes and befriending the me that made the mistake and the me that goes forward from that mistake. So, so yeah, I think that idea of being in process with compassion and I think it's been very difficult. This We're living in such divisive times And the, I don't know, so much of our commercial media podcasts like this are such beautiful oasis in the the airwaves that we're getting a lot of very fear-based kinds of information, infotainment that, you know, what's scary, what's salacious, what will keep us on the edge of our seat and listening to the next news cycle or beyond, you know, past the next commercial so we can find out what happens. You know, I think we're living in a time when fear is, is the buzzword, if, if it's said right out or not, that's really an underpinning of so much of the news we're getting, the information we're getting. But there is a different story that's actually happening that's not getting above the fold, that's not in the cycle of, uh, new cycle of fear right now. It's that people are in process and they're doing the best they can. and they're they're rising to really difficult situations and they're and they're tired and they're trying and they're continuing to try to be the kind of person that they they most want to be in the world you know i have a poem in the new poetry book called what you won't hear on cable news that really you know plays with that idea of the information we're getting about one another and what parker calls there's the, there's the news within the news that we've that we discovered within ourselves and that we discover every single day in our daily context. Would you be willing to read that poem for us? Yeah, sure. I can read that. So here it is. 
what you won't hear on cable news. I want to tell you what you won't hear on cable news about a young woman in an airport who was so exhausted and harried by hours of delay and wrangling an overtired toddler that when her little boy finally and completely melted down and planted himself on the floor, she sat down beside him and started to cry. I want to tell you about the five random women who immediately flowed in from all directions. One pulled out a little toy from her purse. One offered a snack or to go get something to drink. One who called the child honey and wiped his nose with a tissue and offered another one to the grateful mother. And the one who asked if it was all right to walk hand in hand with the child right there at the gate, close by and always in sight. I want to tell you about a man who makes soup and bread and then gives it away, and the nurse who held his hand when he was breathless and afraid. And I want to tell you about my neighbor who drives around all winter with snow chains in his truck just in case someone needs help. I want to tell you about all the people I meet who keep extending themselves and braving the risk of being told that it's none of their business, who offer a hand or a bit of encouragement, or a couple of bucks, who will walk a fussy child around the gate because it's the kind thing to do. I want to tell you, the world still turns every single day on an axis of goodness and unexpected grace that shows up without fanfare and often where we least expect to find it. And that's our guest, Carrie Newcomer, reading a poem from her recent book of poems. Until now, that was what you won't hear on cable news. What strikes me about that is that's exactly what we've been talking about in these last few minutes of our conversation. So often stories like this are hidden over because they're not, they don't result in good clicks. They don't result in eyeballs on the screen. Compassion and kindness and grace are not things that fill the, the, the pockets of those that run our news media. And what I really love about what you do, Carrie Newcomer, is that you are mining for those other stories and you're trying to find moments of connection and you're trying to find moments where you can lift up this little axis of grace that the world turns on and show it to us again and again. I'm, I'm so grateful that you do that. Oh, well, thank you so much. What a kind thing to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think one of the frames in terms of the possibility of reweaving what has been unraveled is paying attention to those stories, those close ins. We had to all get real close in. And, you know, what are the stories that are close to us, close to our heart? The neighbor that drives around with snow chains all winter long, just in case. It's like those kinds of things. If you ask most people, do you know anyone in your life that extends kindness? That is someone you, you look to, you know, a kindness that you remember, small or large. You know, is there anyone in your life that extends themselves in, in those kinds of ways who really wants to put revolutionary love into the world day by day? And most people will tell you yes. I know a lot of people like that. I, I'm kind of like that. You know, it's like these stories are happening all the time. And they're all around us. It's not blinking the hard stuff, is the Parker quote. 
all that is with all that could and should be. It's it's not blinking the hard stuff because this album does not blink the hard stuff. But at the same time, what is it that connects us? The discovery of we really found out in the last 18 months that we are physically, truly connected. I mean, a lot of us knew this intellectually. And I've always thought there's a lot of nature imagery in my in my work that we are connected to everything around us, to the natural world. Everything is connected. But it couldn't have come home more clearly than in the last 18 months that that as a community, as individuals, in terms of the human beings in this world, we are all completely connected right down to the air we breathe together. There's a different story, a different story that some of us have known deep down and there's trying to live out today. Yeah, and that's kind of what the poem was about. As we're moving toward the end of our conversation, I, I want to now take the flip side of that coin, because in this one poem, what you won't hear on the cable news, you were telling us about those little acts of kindness that we can unearth that are happening around us, but that don't often get amplified. But there's another poem a little later in the book called Bearing Witness. And there's a line in that that has been sticking with me for the last couple of days. It's a line that goes, nothing lasts forever, not even winter. And I think about that in light of what you just said, because on the one hand, we see these little acts of kind of warmth and kindness, that these little sort of axes of grace. But then I also think about the people in my life who, for a number of reasons in my family or in my circle of friends, who've grown colder during this time. And what really struck me about that line, nothing lasts forever, not even winter, is that even when there's a bed of snow on the ground and it looks like it's all just frozen waste, what you're telling me in this poem is that something is still stirring down there and that winter doesn't have the last word. And even if I see a frosty exterior on a person where I would hope for warmth, that doesn't mean that I stop hoping that something will grow in them. I'm really struck by the hopefulness that resounds again and again through this work and in a poem like Bearing Witness. Well, thank you. That idea that nothing lasts forever, not even winter, you know, that, again, I, I have been bewildered a lot in the last few years it, it, with the pandemic, but even before this drumbeat of division. And when I know that we all have a story, and that really helps. That helps a lot. When I encounter someone who uh, is in a winter time of their life, or they're icy, or they're just hard as stone right now, that, you know, that this is a person living out a story. You know, what is that story? To be, just try to stay curious, to try to stay open-hearted. And it's not always easy. We are living in times that are asking us to be better people than we ever thought we would need to be. That's the truth. And, and that has been really challenging for me. And it, it comes out in some of these poems and songs that it's not candy-coated. This, this, is, this is not a Disney story. <laughs> but to re keep reminding myself that I'm in process, that others are in process, to try to stay curious because... You know, like I said, so much has been bewildering to me in the last years in, in terms of that idea of division and creating the otherness. Oh, you're the other political party. You're the other religion. You're the other 
nationality. I mean, there's, there's so many, all that othering that has been encouraged by some in our communities instead of, aren't we all human? Aren't we, aren't we all kind of navigating grief and longing and mistakes and joy and new babies and moments of clarity and glimpsing from the corner of your eyes something wider and more mysterious than ourselves. There's this thread, this thread that that still connects us as human beings. And maybe that's why I keep writing stories and I keep writing poems, because a lot of times if you're just like arguing with a person or you're trying to change someone's mind, if people, the doors to people's hearts close pretty quickly. If they feel like they're being preached at or they're being approached in such a way. But if you tell a story, if you tell a story, either in a song or a poem or just from your own authentic experience and heart, when you tell a story, people will leave their hearts open just a little longer because a good story, a really human story, they can see themselves in it. And listening, listening to that other person's story, because even when, you know, where they've come to at this point is very different than where I have come to. If I really listen to their story, there's places where I see where they're human and I can connect still to their experience with that. So, yeah, I think that's part of why I keep writing, why I keep singing is to um, explore that thread that keeps connecting us. Even when we're being told there are no bridges, there are no connections, we are hopelessly divided. That's not true. No, it's, it's there in the course of a good story with a good question. There are bridges, there are threads that we can still follow. And sometimes they're pretty tenuous and they're thin and we have to really work them, work for them. But they're still threads. And when you find them, that's when something can change. That's when something can shift just a little bit. Well, Carrie Newcomer, it's always a delight to get the chance to talk with you about your work. I am so grateful that in the midst of the pandemic, you were able to come out with this new album, Until Now, and its companion book of poetry. Thank you so much for the work and the time that went into writing these songs and crafting these poems. But thank you as well, especially for taking the time to talk about it with me and my listeners today. Well, thank you. It's been great to be on the program again. And um, again, you asked the best questions. So I really appreciate this conversation today. Thank you so much for those kind words. We've been speaking today with Carrie Newcomer. She's an award-winning songwriter, recording artist, performer, poet, author, activist, podcast host, and educator. We've been talking today about her recent album and companion book of poetry, both with the title Until Now. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Kija. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. 
Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.